And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, welcome back to another installment of the Wide Ride Podcast. I'm Manny Navarro, Miami Hurricanes beat writer for The Athletic. It's Monday afternoon, around 3.15 p.m., November 21st. Your Miami Hurricanes are 5-6 and six following a 40-10 to 10 loss to the Clemson Tigers. And they are heading into Saturday's regular season finale against Pittsburgh. A seven-point underdog, I believe, to the Panthers. Carlos Ledo of the MIA All Day Podcast is back with me. For this latest installment before Thanksgiving, you and I are going to be uh, enjoying some good food here in the coming days, Carlos. And uh, and then probably wrapping up the season on Saturday, primetime kickoff for the Hurricanes. Um, a lot to get into. This is breakup season, by the way. I don't know if you knew that. It's officially like the opposite of Valentine's Day. Instead of people hooking up, this is the season when people break up uh, on the college football gridiron. Miami's already been breaking up with several players. Uh, we've had some announcements of players entering the transfer portal. Elijah um, Roberts, the latest, uh, I guess that was last night, announcing he will be entering the transfer portal at the end of the season, the former four-star defensive lineman from Columbus High School. You've had Thad Franklin, the running back. You've had, uh, who else? I think Avery Huff is going to be next. Uh, Gilbert Frierson. Gilbert Frierson, the DB. Uh, a lot of guys basically getting the picture that uh, they're not going to play much here and that they're best served going elsewhere. I sent you my list on Saturday, Carlos, when you and I were chatting, when I was up at Clemson for this game, sitting in another outdoor press box where it's nice and cold. And I think I gave you how many names? 21, 22? 20, yeah. At, at that point, with the, the ones that had already declared, it was like 23. 23, right, which is the number I, I – uh, we can go over my list later. But it is breakup season. And we, we don't know, you know, who Mario will be breaking up with on the coaching staff, but there are certainly 98 reasons to look for another offensive coordinator after what we saw Saturday. Um, Yeah. And as far as breakup season, I think everybody's doing it now so they don't have to buy each other Christmas presents or right. be part of the Secret Santa team activities. So that's a good move. That's a veteran move right there. If you're going to escape any sort of Christmas gift situation, uh, you either call in sick to the office Christmas party or you will just transfer uh, from the current school that you're at. Um, as far as the offensive performance, listen, man, there's how much could you really do though? Um, I think we've seen this offense struggle against lesser defenses all year. You knew it was going to be a slog. I think last week against Georgia tech, they sort of had the perfect storm of being able to catch Georgia tech off guard, uh, and not have them really prepare for what Ja'Curry Brown could do in the ground game. And that caught him off guard and the defense playing really well and creating turnovers. And I think that's what shut Georgia Tech down ultimately was not being able to move that football and, and turning it over to the Hurricanes or Hurricanes protecting the football. On the flip side of that, when you have a team like Clemson, that's not easy to fool, uh, who's athletically probably the best team you've played to date and is just really prepared for everything you're going to throw at them. It's going to be tough slogging if you can't create some separation. Um, I knew this game was pretty much over the minute that Ja'Curry Brown missed Restrepo on the first play of the game when he was wide open on that go route, second, um, play, of second play of the game. Sorry. And yeah. after that, I, I knew it was all downhill, especially then after that, when Jacuri breaks, gets a first down and then uh, they get called for, for the, uh, the block penalty block. by, yeah, by, by Jalen Knight. And it's which those back in the day, everybody used to hunt crackback blocks. Now, now it's illegal in football, but I get it. I understand they're trying to protect player safety, but I mean, it's, it's, it's tough for, for Josh Gaddis. You couldn't expect that, that offensive line that's hampered and injured and depleted to really do anything against probably the best defense they've faced all year. Um, I mean, but eight yards and a half, that's, that's pretty embarrassing. And that's sort of another indictment on what's going on this year with the offense. Eight yards and a half, 98 yards uh, for the entire game on offense. And that hadn't happened since uh, November 27th, 1965, when they played 
Notre Dame to a scoreless tie. I looked it up. Uh, the number one songs in uh, that year, uh, Rolling Stones, I Can't Get No Satisfaction. Pretty much, a song. A, pretty much a theme song for Miami this year. Uh, Help by the Beatles, another theme song that mm-hmm. sort of fits uh, Miami's mantra. Um, it, it's it's gotten so bad. And I understand that, look, there's a lot of fans out there saying there's no excuse. You're ranked 13th in the country and team talent composite. Um Yes, you've had injuries, but 98 yards is inexcusable. And it's hard to sort of like give much of an argument when when Furman had over 300 yards against Clemson back in week two, when when other teams managed to move the football, the, the, the fewest yards before this game by Miami, 98 yards against its Clemson defense was 281 by Notre Dame. And Notre Dame beat them in that game because they had a couple, you know, uh, pick sixes and, and big plays the defense made, but still, I mean, 281 yards, 98 yards, six first downs the whole game for Miami. Couldn't you know, ran 46 plays from scrimmage. Josh Gaddis today, uh, you know, we have our, our Monday press conferences with the coordinators. Said, Look, uh, it's hard to kind of get an offense going when you've basically got three different systems that you've had to run this year, the latest one being. A quarterback who has to run for his life, right? That's the basically the offense with Jakari Brown. Uh, and before that, you're trying to run the football the first three games of the year. Then you finally decide to switch to Tyler Van Dyke. Look, Mario Cristobal will never say this. Okay. He will never say this. But I responded to one of my readers at the Athletic um with this comment the other day. I think he punted on the season pretty much early in the year. I I he he says they're trying to win Friday. I get it. They they are. They're not I'm not saying they're trying to lose. What I'm saying is I think this season at, at a certain point became much more about let's figure out who the horses are that we want to keep and who are the guys that we're going to break up with. And that became the central focus versus win, 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 win every single week. Because if you're trying to win from the get-go, you're smart. He's a smart enough guy. There's a Brewers avoid winner on the staff, right? There's, there's uh, you know, Kevin Steele's not a bad coach. They recognize their deficiencies. They went through camp spring and fall. They knew this talent of, of this roster. Um, they would have made different decisions to try to win games if that was the case. I think Mario was just trying to sort of implement his culture, and that's my takeaway from all this, That uh, from this season. You know, when, when people ask me, what's your opinion? I think Mario was coaching from, from the long view, not the short view. Yes, I agree with that. I think, uh, and I've said that before on the show, that I think Mario came into the season looking to create the foundation for success, not this year, but in the future and in later years. Because you can tell by the way he's doing it. But I think he really got to that mindset in terms of punting on the season, like you said, probably after Middle Tennessee State. I think coming off Texas A&M, he probably felt good about what he saw on the field. He thought they could probably build on that and and probably take it to uh, winning the Coastal. And then once they lost to Middle Tennessee and he saw the results after that, he, he figured this probably was going to be a long season. And then uh, didn't make the adjustments for the short-term success just continue to stick with a plan and implement his system even more strongly uh, to see who would last and who who he'd need to, get, need to get out of here as soon as possible. And I think that's the way the, the season has gone. And then when you mix that in with the injuries and all the stuff that's gone on, at that point, he's probably said, listen, we just need to figure out who we can keep here long term, who's going to be part of this moving forward. And we'll just keep pulling out at the foundation, keep pulling out the rot and get to the point where we're ready to go and start rebuilding. I want to go position by position about do you break up do you write it out? But let's start with the coaching staff because I, I think you have to kind of do that, right? We've gone through 11 games mm-hmm. here. The overall sentiment, can you judge these coaches on on one on 11 games with a limited injured roster? In your mind, is it fair? Can you, can you as Mario Cristobal sit there and say, I know what I've got in this coach. He doesn't fit. We need to make a change. Can you do that after 11 games with the amount of injuries this team had? I think you could do that to an extent, not by looking at the the uh, ultimate result in terms of points per game or look at the ultimate results of averages and things like that. I think you look and see, are these guys, do they look prepared? Are the guys they're throwing out there on the field just physically not ready to go? And that's why they're making mistakes. Or are they continuing to make the same mental mistakes that they made in, in week one now in the last couple weeks of the season? Are we not seeing any progression from these players? Are we not seeing any learning? Um, what are our coaches doing in terms of preparing them to play in each of these games in terms of game planning? Um, Are the game plans sound, especially offensively? And are we making any adjustments or making any corrections in-game that we could take advantage of what the defense is doing to us and stop the bleeding? 
And I think a lot of those answers in terms of Josh Caddis now, after a full season of looking at it, he's had his moments in terms of game planning. I think he had probably his worst uh, game as an offensive coordinator, maybe this game, um, coming off what I thought was probably his best the, the week before against Georgia Tech because of the way he handled the offense. So, I mean, it's, it's been up and down for the offense, and I just don't think overall Gaddis is, is, is going to be the right guy moving forward um, just because I think it's both mutually. They, they both want to go their separate ways and get out of here. And I think looking at the rest of the coaching staff, I think Frank Ponce, um, you got to credit him for being able to get Ja'Curry Brown ready to go, a third-string quarterback who, who was not anticipated to see any time this year, dealing with the shuffling between Jake Garcia, Tyler Van Dyke, and Ja'Curry Brown. And like Josh Gaddis said, having to essentially run three different game plans because it's three different kinds of guys and getting those guys ready to go. I mean, Jake's turnover situation, um, that's a, more of a mental thing, it seems to me, than it is a physical. And, and that's not something you can coach, I think, because um, he gets just keeps throwing the ball over the field and fumbling it all over the place. Um, I think, you know, with the rest of the coaching staff, you take a hard, good look. I think at the end of the day, it all hinges on whether Gaddis comes back or not. Uh, because ultimately, the offensive coordinator is going to be the one that makes a lot of these decisions in terms of the position coaches. Uh, and he's going to have guys that he's going to want to bring in or guys that he's going to want to hire. And that ultimately will lead to who stays in terms of position coaches. And same thing with the defense. If Kevin Steele stays, he's going to either make changes or keep the staff he has. Or if it's a new guy in there, there'll probably be some some new new guys as position coaches coming in. So it really, and, and it all has to fit within Mario's vision because ultimately he has the final say. Because a lot of these guys he hired before he even had coordinators. You're right. I think I think that's one interesting, you know, side to all of this that maybe hasn't been talked about enough is that Mario basically picked the entire staff. Yeah. He he didn't allow either of his coordinators really to have much input, I think, in, in, in terms of who their staff was going to be. And I mean, I, look, Carlos, I've spent a lot of time um, behind the scenes, you know, talking to different people. I, I hit a couple of local high schools last week. I went to. Uh, Buford, Georgia, went to go watch Jess Simpson's old high school program, the one that's won 14 state titles up there in Georgia. Um, I was there on the field and, you know, just talking to different people about the Miami staff in general and, and how things are going. And, you know, part of the impression that I got from talking to some people is, you know, when the coordinators don't have a lot of say over the position coaches, it creates a lot of uncomfortable situations in the sense yeah, it creates that, a lot of friction that that requires them to have faith right in in what the coordinator is doing and how they're leading the group i'm not saying that that's everything that's going on with miami like like that that's the only reason that they're struggling but i i certainly think that's that's an aspect that probably hasn't been discussed enough that yeah absolutely that that mario at some point whether he keeps gaddis or not it's going to have to let those guys have more input on which coaches they hire and which um you know, assistants stay, so to speak, and which ones are actually supportive and, and have the long-term vision. Um, well, ultimately what ends up happening is because you have uh, guys on your staff as a coordinator that you didn't pick, that you don't feel comfortable with, that you haven't worked with before, there, there's a learning process, right? There's an adjustment period. There's, there's like you said, it takes time to get in, gain that trust with one another and to get on the same page. And that ultimately affects the result on the field because the way you work with a staff that you are familiar with is different than with when you're trying to teach a group of guys you've never worked with how you want your system run. So if it's guys you've worked with in the past, the installation's easy, the corrections during the season are easy, the adjustments become easier, you guys know you're all on the same page in terms of how you teach the scheme. Whereas when you're dealing with guys you've never uh, worked with before, now you have to teach them as well, and you have to get on the same page. And sometimes when you're in the middle of a season, it's hard to understand how these guys are teaching things an individual. Um, and then maybe there's slight little things that you want corrected. And sometimes that doesn't show up until you get on the field. Um, and it's just an adjustment period. Again, like you said, it's, it's learning to work with one another and trusting with trusting one another. And that takes time. And, and, and unfortunately ends up affecting the, the performance on the field. Um, what about player development? Cause that's another aspect to all this besides recruiting. I mean, we, we can talk about individual position groups in terms of, you know, who's who's made the biggest improvements? Who do you think has, has helped some of these players grow? I think there's examples on different sides of the ball and with different players where you've seen growth, you've seen improvement. Um, let's go position by position. Quarterbacks. I mean, Jake Garcia looked like he regressed. I know we're, we, we both are Frank Ponce fans, but that was interesting sort of setback for him. Um, yes, Jakari Brown has gotten, you know, was, was put in a position to at least start two games for Miami. Um, he won one of them. Um, 
But the quarterbacks, I mean, there are people who could sit here and criticize and say, well, Tyler Van Dyke was worse. Is it more a product mm -hmm. of individual coaching, maybe messing with his throwing motion a little bit or not messing with it enough to get Tyler to, you know, to look better than he did? Or what, what do you what do you judge from from the quarterback coaching perspective? Well, I think early on his throwing motion and the things he was doing mechanically looked different. Um, but I think after the first couple of games, especially when they adjusted the offense, his mechanics started to get right again after the bye week. Uh, and I think that's probably more credit to Frank than it is, uh, you know, his early on, his mechanics early on. I think what kind of hampered Tyler's mechanics, and this is just my opinion, early in the season was he was doing a lot of work in the offseason, working on uh, throwing from different platforms and different angles. And he carried some of that stuff over into his regular throwing motion, where when you're throwing on the move and you're doing different off-platform throws, yeah, your arm angles have to be different in those situations. But sometimes you work on that so much that it becomes sort of second nature. And you start bringing it into your regular throwing motion, which throws you off because uh, that's a different kind of throw that you're making. Um, and I think they corrected that early in the season. And unfortunately, when Tyler started getting going, he had the injury. And I think part of it is those early mechanical issues. And the other part was that he wasn't processing the offense quickly enough and feeling confident in what he was seeing and also not feeling confident in the guys he was throwing to. Because once Restrepo went down, that's really when the offense went in the tank um, and didn't pick back up until they readjusted a little bit, and until Colby Young made his debut and he started hitting Colby Young for a bunch of yards down the field. So I think that's part of the the, the issue with, with Tyler Van Dyke. As far as Jake Garcia is concerned, he looked good early in the season. He looked good coming in relief uh, against Middle Tennessee, but even in that game against Middle Tennessee, he threw some balls that he got away with that should have been intercepted. Um, he has a tendency to throw the ball into coverage, and that's something that's always been a knock on him since he's arrived here. He's a bit of a gambler. He's a bit of a, you know, wanting to push it down the field and, and force it places in some instances. And then it's just been coupled with this fumbling situation now that's come out of nowhere. And that's not something um, a quarterback's coach really works on in terms of, hey, uh, you know, just be ready for the you, you work on drills where you're actually trying to secure the football and, and your drops and when you're moving in the pocket. And a lot of it's just freak stuff. He's got his arm back there. People are just knocking the ball away. He's dealing with a bad offensive line. And now it's just becomes sort of a thing where he's not strong with a football. And every time he gets touched, it seems to just pop out of his hands. A um, little bit of intel. I, I, I think, again, I haven't heard this from anybody in Jake Garcia's camp, but I would. I, I think I put him on my list of 23 guys that I don't think will be back next year just mm -hmm. because I think he, he's going to probably look to go play somewhere else. Tyler Van Dyke, uh, I think his decision is going to come down to the upgrades that Miami does to this roster. And do they get receivers and do they upgrade the offensive line? If those things happen... I told you that I think, you know, he's going to start this game against Pittsburgh. I said that to you in the text the other day that he was trying to come back for this last game. Uh, I think if he does and he's able to play and they're able to get a win um, and there's sort of a good ending to this story for him, I think he will come back. I think he wants to play here um, and be the quarterback next year again. I don't think he's going pro. Um, Jakari, I think, sticks around. And I think Jakari's not in a rush to be the starting quarterback. I think he wants to get better. I think he eventually wants the opportunity. But I don't get the sense that there's a lot of urgency in his camp. So if that happens, Miami signs Emory Williams. Those are your three quarterbacks for next year. And I think it's good that Jakari is self-aware enough to know that he needs to work on his game as a passer. And that he's not in a rush that he needs to feel – he feels like he needs to be the starter next season. I think another, another year for him, a bridge year for him to be able to prepare and really work on his throwing motion and work on his accuracy – will help him in the long run be a really good quarterback when he's ready to go. At running back, uh, Don Chaney didn't get into this game. Um, he made the trip, dressed up. It was good to see him out there. Uh, I don't know if he's going to come back or not because I don't know if Tremonte Citizen is going to come back or not. I've heard some some scuttlebutt that he could be looking to leave, uh, and he's the guy that, that I think their coaching staff was really excited about getting in here. Those are two injured guys that they didn't have most of the year, if not all of the year, right? Uh, you had Jalen Knighton come back from his fumbleitis, play well against Georgia Tech, but again, a really a non-factor against Clemson. Um, you have uh, Dad Franklin's already announced he's gone. Um, who else is there? Is there one more? Oh, and Henry Parrish, right, who, who was the leading rusher all season long. Henry kind of exceeded my expectations a little bit, but I think we know he's not a number one. He shouldn't right. be a number one. Um that position, when you're judging it from a coaching standpoint and the job Kevin Smith did, all things considered with injuries, what do you take away? Um, you know, it's it's sad not to see Thad Franklin develop a little bit more. I thought he could have been a good short yardage back coming into the season and provided some size that they really needed at the position because that's what they lacked is a guy that could use as a bruiser 
and in short yardage situations, especially with a bad offensive line. Um, you know, Jalen Knight regressed this season. You know, he had his moments, but he was not as good as he was last season. Although he was averaging only about 3.8 yards a carry last year, he did a lot in the passing game. Um, and every time he got in space, he made plays. He hasn't made very many plays this year. Part of that, I would say, is Gaddis's fault for not scheming it up for him. Um, you know, Henry Paris, again, like you said, exceeded expectations. And I think he was very comfortable working with Kevin Smith because he did it in the past at Ole Miss. And I think it was an adjustment for all these guys. I think, you know, credit to Kevin Smith, I'll say this, for getting uh, Lucius Stanley ready to, to play the walk-on, getting him on the field, uh, and at least having him perform to a reasonable level with very little time uh, on this roster. But, you know, I, I, I didn't see anything spectacular out of the running backs for me to say, wow, this guy's a great running back coach and, and he should stay on. Yeah, I think there's a chance there could be one of the running backs who leaves via the portal, maybe two, uh, because of the opportunities. And I'm not saying that's what's going to happen. I'm just saying. And let's look surprised. at what, what Mario values most recruiting, right? And right now, there's no major running back commit that you're like, oh, shit, look, look at what Kevin Smith pulled out. Um, yeah, there's nobody that, waiting in the wings right now. There's no other commitments. Right. They are they are they are trying to, I think, pluck a couple guys off of other commitment lists and uh, could look at the portal for help. I think that's a reality. Yeah, and it may come down to that. Maybe you flip some Mark Fletcher, get somebody like that, uh, where where they're like, okay, well, you've earned your stripes, you're you you've earned another year here on the staff, or it may just be a situation where like, listen, your guys didn't produce enough on the field, and you're not getting anybody in the recruiting ring, so let's go, you're out. Uh, Josh Gaddis coached the wide receivers uh, this year. Uh, Keyshawn Smith went from being a starter to not playing at all, being a return man, and then not being with the roster whatsoever. I think he's gone. Michael Redding, unfortunately. You know, just hasn't caught on in the three years that he's been here. Um, I'm not sure that he's got a future here. We'll and he see. had plenty of opportunities early on this season, just didn't get it done. Just didn't get on the field, didn't make the plays, didn't, 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 you know, for whatever reason, just wasn't really a part of the passing game. Um, Rashard Smith has improved in my mind as a slot receiver. Xavier Restrepo has been playing injured, so you can't really judge him. Um, and then you have Colby Young, who sort of stepped up his game. You know, after after they kind of needed somebody to, and they just yeah. finally decided to, to throw him the ball. Um, you've got other guys on the roster, the receiver position, but um, how would you judge wide receivers and the job Gaddis has done there? I would say it's disappointing. I think uh, you came into the season feeling really good about you know adding Frank Ladson. You you felt good about Keyshawn Smith taking the next step, being a burner. You felt good about Restrepo coming in, and he looked like he was going to have a great season early on until the injury. Um, you thought he could have done more with Brashard Smith. You've seen him not do anything with uh, Jacoby George. You know, Jacoby's been up and down in terms of his performance on the field. He'll make one spectacular play one minute, and the next he'll just drop an easy ball, not be in the right spot, run the wrong route. And now, and you you thought coming off of last season that Romello Brinson would have a bigger role in this team, and he just hasn't developed either. So you've got a bunch of guys that really have not shown any sort of progress throughout the course of the year. And their deficiencies continue to be their deficiencies and maybe even gotten, got worse during the year. You felt that Frank Gladson maybe could be a deep threat because of his size. Um, we saw in the spring he probably had issues catching the deep ball. Didn't get any work on that done. It got, it got worse during the season. And he became basically just a possession receiver throughout the year, just an underneath guy. Um, you were hoping that deep, Keyshawn Smith also could be that guy, that deep threat. You know, Obviously, they had their issues in terms of uh, personality matches, but production on the field, again, didn't match. Rashard Smith, they really didn't start trying to get him the ball until later on in the year. Um, I think that's somebody they could have used more. And the rest of the guys like Romello and all these other guys, it's sad that we didn't see Gaddis come in here and take advantage of, of the talent, although they do need more talent there, to take advantage of what he currently had and do more with it in terms of production with those guys. Yeah, I think Romello, Keyshawn, and Redding, I would say are probably three guys I don't think will be back. I think uh, you, you'll hold on to Jacoby George. Uh, you'll hold on to... Uh, Richard, you'll definitely try to develop Colby Young beyond that. Uh, and then, of course, the freshmen that they, they really haven't played whatsoever yet. But, you know, I, I, I would say, you know, Robbie Washington and Nathaniel Joseph, two, you know, again, fast, smaller receivers, they will come in and help next year. But, you know, overall, not a great year for the receivers. Offensive line, um, obviously decimated by injuries. You can't ignore that. Um, Zion Nelson, losing him from the start, not good. Uh, you lose Jalen Rivers with about three or four games left. Um, he's your he's your best guard. DJ Scaife's playing out of position at right tackle all year long. He should be a guard. Um, John Campbell is playing hurt. 
John Campbell's your left tackle. He shouldn't probably be your left tackle. He should be a guard. Uh, Ja'Kai Clark, your center, um, playing hurt, as you mentioned. Justice Olawasun, who started the year at your right guard spot, lost about halfway through. Um, and then you get Jonathan Dennis out there for, what, a handful and, of games? And wow. he's done. Wasn't great. Logan Sagapolo, yeah. the transfer from Oregon. Wasn't again, great again. Just a guy. Uh, Lamar Seymour, young guy, but very small. Um there's, it's obvious why they've got five offensive linemen committed in this next class and, and Mario's, you know, getting size. The one positive in S. Cooper, right? I mean, that guy has come in and yeah. I think you see what Mario envisions there. But Alex Miraboff, year one, I know you can't do anything about injuries, but what do you what do you say about his job? I think if you look at the overall production in the offensive line, I think it's been a bad year uh, for the offensive line. I don't think they've they've played well. They've had their moments in, in the pass block, in pass blocking, but they haven't done a real good job run blocking outside of the first couple of games of the season. Now, again, a lot of that is due to injury, like you said. A lot of guys rotating in and out. Um, I think that also has to do with the type of scheme that they're running from week to week, depending on who the quarterback is. So, you know, some weeks you're going to go in there with uh, a Tyler Van Dyke. We're going to be pass blocking 70% of the time, and you're not going to have to have a, a whole lot of run blocking responsibilities. Then you're going to get with Jake Garcia, and it's going to be a bit of, of a mix uh, in terms of what they do in the run and pass scheme. And then with Ja'Curry Brown, it's a totally different scheme completely. So it, it's been a lot of a lot of back and forth, a lot of uh, schizophrenia on the offensive line in terms of personnel and scheme. So that lends itself to it. But I would say it's a very disappointing year for the offensive line as well. Um, all right. Uh, tight end, we kind of skipped them for a second. Um, not a very deep group, especially when you lose Elijah Arroyo, who was supposed to be your up-and-coming star. The one thing I liked about Arroyo, he has kind of tagged along. He paid his own way to get to Atlanta, basically couldn't fly with the team because there's only X amount of seats on the plane for, for travel rosters. And so he kind of went on his own went up there and then he was on the travel roster this week for Clemson. So I think he's definitely a, a big part of the future. Will Mallory. Okay. Season, not a great season an okay season. I don't know that he's going to get himself drafted. I think, I think there's a chance if he, if he has a really good combine, I think there's uh, a chance. but, but more likely than not uh, one of those careers that doesn't finish the way maybe he hoped. Um, and then, you know, really you had Khalil Brantley catch a touchdown pass uh, this last game. But really not a lot of production from the position overall. Steven Field ends up sticking from the previous staff. I think Mario tried his best to try to get somebody else. Didn't really extend the contract until kind of the last minute here in fall camp. Interesting situation with him. You know, maybe he's one of the guys that goes or, or moves into a different position, maybe a recruiting type position on the staff. But how do you judge the tight end uh, for the season? I mean, you didn't see any growth out of Will Mallory. Will Mallory was just the same guy he's always been since he's been here. And his bad blocking, and I mean atrocious blocking, um, has continued to follow him the entire season. He has done a terrible job. Uh, he you, you constantly see him on quick screens, bubble screens, getting eaten alive by, by DBs, blowing it, and those plays get blown up. You see him on the offensive line when he's in line or trying to make a block to spring a running back and, and create a lane or a gap, getting destroyed and missing blocks. He's just not a very good blocker, and I think that's why he's not going to get drafted. I, I don't think his ability as a receiver is good enough to overcome those deficiencies as a blocker, and you got to be able to do both as a tight end. I think you've seen flashes out of Jaleel Skiller, but I think that's mostly just athleticism. I don't think that's anything that's been coached. Um, I think his blocking is okay right now. He needs to add more weight, and then we can see what he can really do. You know, It's nice to see Khalil Brantley getting in here towards the end of the season, uh, but we don't really know what we have in him because we haven't seen enough of him. And I think, uh, you know, losing Elijah Royo hurt a lot because he was the one guy that could do both. He was the one guy that was an athletic enough tight end to get open in the pass game, but also physical enough to really uh, put the hammer down on the run game. And the guy that you expected to be sort of that hammer in the run game to help Dominic Mamorelli has been, you know, he's seen some snaps and he's been okay when he's been in there, but nothing spectacular. 62 snaps for Mamorelli and I think it's 57 for Brantley. Yeah, it's nothing impressive out of the tight ends as well. Probably a position you have to address in the transfer portal to get a little bit more help here. I, again, Mario mentioned it today in the press conference. It's his job to maximize the talent. I've told you on this podcast multiple times for multiple weeks now, there's going to be a lot of departures. I wouldn't be surprised if a couple of these tight ends are part and of the that. Thing, the thing that may save field is is the uh, current tight end recruiting class that he has lined up. Right. You got three in here. Reed McKeska, uh, right? He's one of the, the three that's in there. I went to go see him in Texas uh not a bad kid it's very smart very cerebral actually reminds me a little bit of mallory but he actually blocks well he, he thank he, god 
he plays for a running team that basically runs the football the majority of the game, but he is involved whenever they do throw. Um, not a bad looking kid at all. And I know they've got a couple of other, the, the ones from IMG that is out in, in the Portland, Oregon area. But again, um, interesting to see what Miami does. That's the offensive staff. Let's slip over to defense, Carlos. And the defensive line, you know, um, Mesador, he's, he, you know, he had two sacks. He had the four, the, the strip sack that led to the touchdown for Miami, the one touchdown against Clemson. I think he's been the most consistent defensive lineman that they've had every single week. Leonard Taylor, I think, has taken steps forward in his progress. Um, you know, Daryl Williams, the kid they got out of the porter again, good player. I think he's been a solid player for them all year long. Before he got hurt, I thought Jared Harrison Hunt was was a solid contributor. Um, you didn't get a lot out of Mitchell Agude. Jafari Harvey's got five and a half sacks. I actually don't have as much of a problem with the defensive line coaching. Um I think that might be the one group. But again, that's the group that they addressed quite a bit through the transfer yeah. portal. Yeah, I, I'd agree. I think the defensive line played well. I think even guys rotating in and out. I think you saw um, steps taken forward, like you said, by Leonard Taylor. I think that was that was very encouraging. I think Daryl Jackson took steps forward as a, as the season went along. I think his game improved from early in the season as it got later on in the season. Um, I think there were guys that were disappointments, kind of like you said. Uh, like a Gude, I thought he would be more productive. Uh, Moultrie's been okay, nothing spectacular thus far this season. He's been solid. Um, but I think other guys, Jordan Miller's been okay. I think he's produced a little bit more than I anticipated. Uh, you know, Jared Harrison Hunt has been solid, like he has his whole career. I think I think the defensive line, all in all, has done a really good job, and I think it's the strength of the team, as we expected coming into the season. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Yeah, and I, and I have yet to really mention any of the, the young guys. Um, you know, Cyrus Moss, I think, has only gotten 23 snaps uh, the whole game, the whole uh, season. But uh, the other freshman, 
um, who everybody was was all excited about uh, this year. Um, I'm forgetting his name here for a second. Nigel Lee Kelly. Nigel Lee Kelly. Sorry, I, I, number thirty two in my head, and I'm like, wait a minute, how do you say it? Nigel Lee? That's right. And I, number thirty two on on his jersey, and number thirty two in your memory as well. Yes, this is what happens when you get old like me, Carlos. Um, Nigel Lee Kelly, he's been phenomenal. I do the True Freshman Report every every week. He's among the leaders in pressures, the leaders in in sacks among true freshmen. Um, I think he's he's shown that uh, all the hype, right? Mario was able to kind of steal him late. Um, I think eventually once um, this other kid is able, Cyrus Moss is able to put on weight, he'll be a contributor. The ones I didn't see a whole lot of growth from, Chance Williams, I mean, 99 snaps for the whole year for Chance Williams. He was a high-profile kid from, that Manny Diaz brought in. Um, who else? I'm looking at the defense here, just snap counts. Uh, Elijah Roberts, 111. That's why he's in the portal. Uh, Antonio Moultrie is at the end of his career, 133. Nigel Lee Kelly, 160. So he was actually part of the rotation. Um, but, you know, again, uh, a position that I'm not as worried about moving forward. Linebacker, um, which is basically uh, a spot that uh, we knew going into the year was probably the weakest on the on the defensive side, right? Um, Wesley Bassin has improved as the season's gone on. He's absolutely he, he's come on as the year's gone on. I thought Corey Flagg, I know we complain about Corey Flagg. He's not fast enough, shouldn't be out there. Uh, all those kind of things, but he did grade out better than he did a year ago. There was yeah, improvement. He looked, he looked better Flagg. this season. Um, yeah, he, looked, he looked better. Um, yeah, I mean he's he's grading out at sixty three point two for the season, which I think last year he was in the forties. Uh Keontra Smith, not as terrible as he was last year, right? <laughs> we could say that. Uh Caleb Johnson, um, Basically wasn't starting, didn't make those big an impact as they wanted. The kid out of UCLA, yeah, not a lot of depth there. The one guy who didn't play, and and this was obviously because of injuries and because he wasn't ready, was Chase Smith. Avery Huff already announced he's going in the transfer portal four years down the drain at Miami. Um, what are your takeaways at linebacker? Yeah, I think Caleb Johnson to me was the the disappointment. I thought he would come in and uh, as the season went on, would be there next to Corey Flagg as a starter. Um, I know they said they were playing the same position and he was backing Corey Flagg up, but eventually you saw them play together. And I thought maybe they make the transition where it ended up being Caleb Johnson and uh, Wesley Besaint at some point, and that just it never got there. Um, I was really hoping for more out of him. We knew what we had coming in with Wayman Steed. We knew what we had coming in with uh, Corey Flagg. We knew Keontre Smith. I didn't expect much out of these guys. Um, and I think the improvement out of Corey Flagg and the development by Wesley Besaint are encouraging to me, the discouraging part is that you got really nothing different out of the other guys, and Caleb Johnson was a disappointment. Yeah, we'll see what what they decide to do there um, as far as uh, the coaching and the offseason. You know, Charlie Strong, I think, in the end, did have a positive effect on that group. Uh, but whether or not he's a part of the long-term plans and doesn't go somewhere else to become a coach after the season, we'll see. Um, defensive backs, we'll start with cornerbacks. Uh, none of the freshmen really played. No impact, right? I mean, you if you look at the snap counts, um, Chris Graves, three snaps. Kamari Rogers, three snaps. Um, going up and down the list here. Jaden Harris, 17 snaps. And then we heard a lot in, in, in the preseason about Malik Curtis. He goes out there and he gets burned right away, gives up a touchdown, 23 snaps yeah. the whole year. I never no, really recovered. No. Um, I know Jamila Dye gets a lot of credit for being a good recruiter and, and maybe a defensive coordinator one day. But this is a group that gave up a bunch of big plays. DJ Ivy, you know, some of it was on the safety, some of it was on the cornerbacks. Yep. And then as far as the safeties are concerned, uh, Cam Kitchens is obviously the highlight, right? I mean, he's turned into the best player on the team. And James Williams at times is still inconsistent um, in terms of coverage. I tweeted out during the game that I think he's got to be moved into the front seven. I personally, I would make him a pass rusher at this point and put the weight on him, make him to 250 and turn him into Javon Curse. But um, Greg that's, Rousseau. that's my opinion. Tyreek Stevenson, I think, has played up and down. He's he's played better of late. He's a good leader um, in terms of... Yeah, and of, I think with him, he's dealt with a lot of injuries since he's been here, too. Yeah. Um, Daryl Porter Jr., really no impact. Didn't play a whole lot this year. Uh, 171 snaps. You know, the West Virginia transfer guy who was a, a starter at West Virginia... There's been games where he hasn't played at all. There's been other games where they've had to count on him. Um, I'm kind, it's kind of a mixed bag with him. So Corey Couch looked better this year, I thought. Yeah, he improved. So Corey Couch yeah. is a good is a good example of improvement. But how do you judge it overall? 
I mean, it's up and down. And again, you knew coming into the season that was going to be one of the weak spots. You felt like the corners weren't that great to begin with. Um, you felt better about the safeties. And I think the disappointing part there is the lack of development by uh, Avante Williams. You know, he thought he'd come in there and be, and be part of the three safety rotation with uh, James Williams and Cam Kitchens, but that never materialized. So that to me is uh, kind of disappointing. He only got, what, 129 snaps throughout their year. His overall uh, defensive grade is 35.6, which is pretty atrocious. Yeah. And his coverage grade is a 30.6. So he's been bad uh, even when he's been in there, which is really disappointing. And like you said, I- I'm a little disappointed that Daryl Porter Jr. didn't make more of an impact to really help solidify that corner rotation. Um, and you were pretty much stuck with the guys you had when you got here, DJ Ivy and and Takori Couch and Tyreek Stevenson. Those were your three guys that you were relying on most of the season, and they were okay. I mean, DJ Ivy had a terrible season, as he normally did. He he had a couple moments where he looked good um, and helped improve those numbers, but his bad was really bad, uh, and it wasn't enough. Uh, his ceiling and what he did in the season wasn't enough to cover up those mistakes. And like you said, we said with Tyreek, he was okay when he was in there, but he was mostly injured, so that hurt him. Uh, to Corey Couch made the improvements, but other than that, I wasn't too impressed with what happened with the secondary. Yeah. Um, more intel on all this. I, I think, you know, Mesador sitting next to a group of NFL scouts for this last game. Um, Jaguars, Jets, a couple of different teams were there. And they were they were watching some of the Miami guys. They left at halftime. I don't think they had to see much, right? No. <laughs> um since I got up this uh, out of this is if anybody's Worth going pro, probably Tyreek Stevenson if he wants, even though he's got more time, he'd probably be smart to come back. Um, but as far as guys that didn't that haven't played on the defensive side, that I would say probably should go. Um, Chase Smith at this point, I don't know what you're going to get out of him. Um, if he comes back and even fits where the coaches are with him, Avery Huff is already one of the guys I mentioned, Chance Williams, um, Elijah Roberts, who announced Jabari Ishmael, doesn't look like he's in the plans, Daryl Porter. I don't know what he does. He was a starter before he's come here. He's not a starter now. Al Blades, again, he's been here since 2018. Really not a factor. Kamari Rogers, I know his father got upset. And then uh, Isaiah Dunson, who we thought would be more, really yep. wasn't this year. Um, so, you know, there's there's a long list. You can get to 23, 24 guys pretty easily. Um, and I think in the end, you know, Mario was pretty vocal today about uh, guys needing to go. Right. And, and and being honest and upfront. And I think they are all you have to do is look at the playing time, look at the snaps and you can get an idea of who are candidates to leave and who we will hear announcing in the weeks ahead that they're going. So anyway, I wanted to cover that a little bit. I did also ask for some mailbag questions, Carlos. But before we move on to the mailbag, any anything else on your mind after coming off of that conversation where we went position by position with coaching and player personnel? Listen, there's there's going to be tinkering there's going to be changes and i think not just in terms of the roster but also like you said with the coaching staff and i expected that coming in with with josh gaddis and kevin seal being the coordinators just because he knew those guys one kevin seal's an older guy you didn't know how long he was going to be wanting to uh grind the way mario wants to grind and josh gaddis has been eyeing a head coaching position for quite some time so you don't you you anticipated him leaving after one season or maybe two at the most um, but like with anything else, coaching staffs constantly have turnover and the best ones have a lot of turnover. I think this year, what Mario is going to do, I think, or what he should do is I think he should look at the results and say, okay, I, I sort of put together and piece together a bunch of different pieces that I thought were really great. He tried to put together the 92 dream team in terms of the coaching staff when it comes to ability to recruit and ability to scheme. And he got a bunch of proven coaches from different places that haven't worked together and thought he can mesh, he can mesh them together under one roof. And that, didn't sort of work out. Um, and I think what you also found was some of these coaches maybe had too much of an ego and didn't connect with the players in a way that you need to, or when, when, the way you usually do when you're a younger guy coming in, trying to prove yourself or a guy that's been brought in um, to build those relationships early on with the players through the recruiting process. So I think he's going to turn this thing around and say, okay, I don't need big names. I don't need to write big checks all the time. I need to find what fits my team and my systems, right? So whoever the next offensive coordinator is, like you said, if Gaddis leaves, should be allowed to pick out the rest of the staff to fill that staff out with Mario's approval with guys that he feels understand his system and understand what he's trying to do and they can work together. Same thing with the defense. If Steele leaves, whoever that next defensive coordinator is should be allowed to fill out that roster or that coaching staff with guys he feels comfortable with and guys that he feels match uh, what what he's trying to do and what Mario's trying to do overall. Um, as far as the players are concerned, 
you know, the turnover is going to be like that in the years coming. Even though you're not going to have stability, I don't think, on this roster for two to three years until there's full recruiting classes lined up that Mario has brought in himself and all the holes are plugged because you're constantly going to have turnover from guys that aren't, aren't happy, aren't getting playing time. And that's just the nature of the beast in college football. Only this time we're getting a wholesale change because it's guys that are held over from a different system and a different era that no longer fit the overall culture and the overall direction of the program. And I think it's a mutual parting of ways at this point where they're all on both sides saying, listen, it's best for all of us to move on and bring some other guys. The question is, can Mario match the personality and culture fits through the portal along with the talent that he needs? Yeah, and that's not easy to do, but that's why uh, you rely on um, you know people that you trust at other schools to give you the honest answers. I've asked multiple yep. college coaches, how do you handle that? When you don't, you know, you when a guy doesn't work out, right? I asked coaches at Duke that. I asked coaches uh, at Georgia Tech that. I asked coaches at Miami, Florida State, what do you do when you start looking in the transfer portal? And and all of them have told me, well, you call the guys that you know in this business, and and you hope that they're honest with you. And he says most of them are because this is basically an, uh, you know, as much as we sit here and and say, you know, coaches. They 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 want to beat each other and all that kind of stuff. This is you know this is their fraternity. So there's a lot of connections in that, and you and you just have to do some really good homework. And I think Mario and his staff will. They've got a bigger uh, people in the recruiting department and the transfer department. Alonzo Highsmith's involved, so I think they're doing a thorough job weeding out the guys that they really want to target. And and, and look, there's a lot of guys that are that don't even have in their their names in the transfer portal yet that are going to have their names there. There's conversations that are had all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, behind the scenes between high school coaches and parents and different people who say, Hey, I want to take my kid to your school. or I want to go here because I think I'm, my kid would do well under your program. So I think there's going to be a lot more of that names that you haven't even heard yet. Um, yeah, it'd, would... it'd be silly to think that guys aren't putting feelers out there to see what schools would be interested in them. Right. Um, and as far as, like you said, with the coaching staffs, remember these guys all network because they don't know where their next job is going to come from. And when it, right. you have to develop those relationships because eventually maybe this, you'll end up on the same staff together uh, or help each other get another job. Yeah, so the way it works. All right, this is from Embrick Isles on Twitter. How many players do you think will enter the transfer portal this spring, and who are some names to watch that haven't entered yet? Well, we've we've hit a few of them here, Embrick. Uh, I I put a list together of about twenty three guys um, that I texted Carlos over the weekend, and I think I mentioned almost all of them uh, in the last thirty minutes here as we've gone position by position. So go back, listen to it again. I mentioned all the guys that I think are candidates to go. Um. All right, this question is from Andrew V underscore 17. What coaches would you bring back and which coaches would you get rid of if you had the choice? Kind of covered this topic as well, Andrew. Yeah, again, man, it, it all depends on the coordinator. Who's the coordinator and and what Mario's vision is going to be ultimately? Is he going to allow him to pick his own guys? I mean, Mario keeps complaining and not being able to pick his own groceries and dealing with that stuff. I think he should have the same feeling for his coaching staff. Allow them to pick their own groceries, the guys they want to work with. This is from uh, uh, Frierdo. F-R-I-E-R-D-O 60 on Twitter. Are the guys leaving a sign of trouble? I, I don't. I don't think the guys leaving is a sign of trouble. If you had great players that Miami wanted to keep saying they wanted to leave, that's a sign of trouble. I don't think any of these guys that have announced that they're transferring is a sign of them not want of Miami losing guys they want to keep. I, right. I don't I don't get that sense at all. Like if you had heard Cam Kitchens, James James Williams, and Leonard Taylor wanted to transfer or entering that, their name in the portal, yeah. that's a problem. Yeah, I, I agree one hundred percent with that. This is from Mark Ar Ar Ardios or Ardos five two one on Twitter. List the core players on offense and defense that you think Mario was alluding to. Uh, I think he means alluding to his guys that they want to have here, right? That they want to have to win championships. I think the core players. I mean, it's simple. Uh, we can go position by position real quick. Uh, I think quarterback, you want Tyler Van Dyke back, uh, if possible, right? You, mm -hmm. you you want Jakari Brown. I think, um, you know, in the running backs, I think Jalen Knighton is a guy that you want to keep now because he's proven to you he wants to work hard and he's and he's not just going to throw the towel in um, when he's struggling. Um, you know, Don Chaney Jr. remains to be seen. I'd like to see him run the ball in this next game before I give that opinion. Uh, Trevante Citizen, who knows if he ever ends up carrying the ball here, but that's a guy I know the coaching staff likes. Receivers, I say Colby Young and Brashard Smith and, and Jacoby George are probably the three guys you want to keep. Tight end, you want Elijah Royal back. Offensive line, Zion Nelson, Jalen Rivers, John Campbell because he's a starter. DJ Scape's gone because he's done with his eligibility. And Ja'Kai Clark, those are the four guys you probably want back. And then 
you know, you mix in some of the new arrivals with them. Um, defense, uh, you'd love to have uh, Akeem Mesidor back because he's your best defensive player in the front seven. Uh, Wesley Besaint at linebacker. Uh, I think Jafari Harvey, you're happy to take back. I don't think Jafari's going pro after this year. Um, I think you 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 certainly want Leonard Taylor and and uh, Jared Harrison Hunt and 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 Daryl Jackson. You want those three defensive tackles back uh, and cornerback. Uh, you know, if Tyreek Stevenson comes back, it's great. If he doesn't, you're, I don't think you're necessarily you know upset. You can understand if he wants to go. Um, you know, Cam Kitchens, James Williams. Um, you know, and and then every everything else to me. You know, Andy Borgal is a good kicker. I, I I wouldn't mind keeping him. I think those are the core guys, right? Am I missing and, anybody? Well, yeah, we miss some people, but I mean, at the end of the day, it's a guy. It's the people that had a lot of snaps, right? A lot of the guys that played a lot of snaps, especially towards the end of the season, and the young guys. And Mario's just Mario brought in just in this last recruiting class, and the guys he's going to bring in in the future. And I think you'll see who those core guys are if the Hurricanes make a bowl game, because you'll see the ones that aren't going to be part of this program moving forward exit prior to the bowl game. And what you'll be left with is the core of what Miami is going to be dealing with moving forward before they restock in the transfer portal and recruiting. All right. I'm going to keep uh, skipping here through, through uh, some questions that we got. Uh, this is from Daniel Dantau, three, three, eight, six. If Garcia and Brown are both on the roster next year, who would you expect to win that job? Although understanding that doesn't seem likely. Um, well, if Jake Garcia is here, then he has to have proven something to the coaching staff that we're unaware of. Right. Uh, which means I would give him a chance to start because that means he must have improved profusely in, in the time. At this point, I would think that Jakari would, would be in line to be the backup quarterback to Tyler Van Dyke if that's if those are the two guys that are here. Um, I don't think Jake necessarily sticks, but who knows? We'll see. I agree because he's shown the, the ability to protect the ball a lot better than Jake has. All right. This is from Larry Schender, one of our uh, loyal listeners and, and tweeters from Miami Media Associates. If Gaddis stays, do you believe this will hurt getting top quarterback wide receiver talent in the portal on signing day? If so, why not fire him today? I've yet to hear a recruit quoted once saying, I won't go to Miami if Josh Gaddis is there. In fact, I, I haven't gotten that hint whatsoever from um, any players or any coaches in terms of high school players. So I think the way you have to look at this is players and high school recruits look at playing time and opportunity as the number one factor. And can that guy help me get to the NFL? And Gad has only been here a year. You can't really judge him on that. I know that this has been a terrible year for Miami, but I don't I don't get the sense that that's plaguing Miami by any means. But it's a good question, Larry. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's... It's a situation where it's unfair to judge Gaddis. Uh I don't think he's... I don't think he's done the best job this year, but I also know he's had certain limitations in how he's been able to do that job. So... I think next year, if he stays one more year, you'll see more of what he truly is, especially if when they restock that offensive line and get everybody healthy on there. Another question from Larry. Um, would you would you prefer, even if we win for Miami, to skip the bowl game and spend the next month building the team for portal and signing day? I, I, I don't think that there's any correlation to that. I think while you can understand the coaching staff would not want to be distracted by bowl practices. I, I don't think Mario looks at it in that way whatsoever. I think, uh, I think for, from a coaching perspective, there's more to gain from having the extra practices and a bowl game than there is not having it. In other words, they, this recruiting process has been going on. They coach through a season while they're recruiting. I don't see why they couldn't coach through some bowl practices while still recruiting. Right, and I brought up on my podcast that it may be if they do miss the bowl game, I'm not going to be too upset because that'll allow the young guys to rest and not have any issues with injury uh, for a bowl game. You're going to be down to like 30 guys coming into the bowl game anyway because of all the transfers and everybody that's going to be leaving the team. Um, and a lot of guys may decide to sit out. So, But if they do make a bowl game, I think it'll be interesting if they make a bowl game and they end up with an opponent like, let's say, the Gators or somebody that's interesting enough to draw the fan base in. And if they win that game, send the season off on a positive note, which as we know for, for, uh, for perception purposes is, is, is great. If you could finish seven and six with that last win being against the Gators and then go right into recruiting successes, then you're already building the hype train for the next season and hope prevails. Um, 
All right, let's move on. This is from Kane Stealth, Rick Smith on Twitter. Doing year-end self-reviews at my job. I wonder what were Mario Cristobal's goals for year one. At my job, we were rated a one through a five. A three is performing. What rating is Rudy Fernandez and Jose Echevarria rating Mario this year? I think he'll qualify for a year-end bonus. Well, I spoke First to... First of all, some... I think that's up to Radakovich. <laughs> well, it's probably written in his contract already, and I don't... You know, unfortunately, this isn't a public school, so we get a chance to look at uh, bonuses and, and what the contract includes. But I will say this. I've had conversations with people and in Miami's administration, and the feedback that I received was, we're even more encouraged by the way Mario has conducted himself this season with the hire than we were before this. And I think one thing Miami fans have to understand is that when they made this hire, it was viewed as a long-term investment. The 10 years, 80 million, all of that was viewed as we're going to get there and we're going to get it right. We're not just going to hire a coach four or five years and hope that he gets it right. No, this is a full-on commitment. And there were a couple of examples. I wrote this in my story for The Athletic. Um, one Something that one person told me was after the FSU game when I asked Mario about FSU scoring the late touchdown and making it 45-3 to three, uh, blowout. When I asked, did that rub him the wrong way? And Mario answered, no, it's our job to stop them. And they said that was very refreshing to hear a coach sort of present it from, we're not going to complain about something like that. It's our job yeah. not to get embarrassed. Um, and then last week, the comments that Mario made regarding come pick up your kids. In other words, changing the culture, right? Hey, yeah. You're unhappy with your playing time? Go somewhere else. All of those things are signs, I think, to the administration that they hired the right guy who's taking the right right approach. Is it taking longer than anybody wants? Sure. Are there people saying, we spent $80 million on this? Sure. Are there people saying, he's got to fire the coordinator? Sure. All of those things, I'm sure, are happening. But overall, does anybody feel like they made a mistake in hiring Mario? I don't think that's the, the, the feeling at all at the University of Miami. Not at all. And I think you uh, you see that from the way the players that have bought in are taking to him. You see that from the way the recruits are taking to him, the one the, the class he's being he's putting together right now. And like you said, it's it, they're happy with the decision they made because for them, it wasn't about the short term successes, because for that, they would have just had Manny make some different changes in terms of coordinators and things he wanted to do um, and see what he could roll with into the season. But they wanted to make a, a fundamental change in the way the program was being operated and run. And they are seeing that the vision they had and the vision that Mario sold him continues to be the same one. He's going to continue to fight for that. And I think like anything else, when you take some medicine, sometimes things get worse before they get better. You start coughing things out you didn't know were inside of you. And you're getting rid of all that crap that's inside. And once you do that, then you'll be a lot better for it. And I think that's the ultimate goal. All right. This is our last comment. And then we're going to wrap this puppy up here. This is from Asher Wildman. 13 on Twitter, another loyal listener to our podcast. Thank you, Asher. He says, as someone who covered FSU football a few years ago, message to Canes fans, sky isn't falling. Mike Norvell went through the same thing. Half the team didn't buy in, and it's taken him three years to build, quote, his team. His question is, do you think the Miami locker room is divided, or is it a lack of talent slash coaching? I think it's all of the above. Yeah. I think you go back and you look at, Manny Diaz maximizing what he had in his locker room last year. Okay. He maximized his locker room last year because they all wanted to play for him. They all were playing their asses off for him. Right. In year three. Yep. They went seven and five. There were still deficiencies. They couldn't tackle. Uh, they were blowing. I mean, the, the mistakes on defense were comical and he's a defensive coordinator. Um, I get it. Recruiting rankings. I, 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 <laughs> Full disclosure, today after after the press conference was over, I had a few of the guys, you know, they look at me as the old man, right? Carlos, I've been on the beat now for over 20 years, and I've been around the program a long time. I covered high school. You're, you're now the Edwin Pope of the hurricane circuit. I, I'm only 44 years old, but still, I, I get viewed at times. Me and Gary Furman, you know, two guys that have been on the program the longest. Susan, of course, for the Miami Herald, my former colleague, um, you know, we're viewed as, as, as the older group now. And I, I took a couple of these younger writers, younger guys who cover the team, Streeter, who, who does his videos. Um, some of the guys from Rivals, Marcus Benjamin, uh, the, guy, the kid from SI, the young, young, young kid from who writes for SI. 
I told them, I said, you know, the biggest problem for Miami the last 20 years is these recruiting rankings, these team team, team talent composite. It sets these expectations. And I, there, there's a variety of reasons. And, and I've told you this, Carlos, many times. I, I just think the talent in South Florida is overrated. I've told you that many times. And there's yep. a lot of guys that are four stars that shouldn't be. And I think that all leads into saying they're 13th in the team talent composite. My argument against it is, Look at all the guys who left Miami through the transfer portal. Look at all the guys that have come out of this program. Find me the ones who went on and did greater things after they were at Miami than while yeah. they were here. And there's just not, it's not even a list of guys. No, it's not. I mean, there's maybe two or three examples that you can point to and say, okay, well, that guy wasn't half bad when he left and played somewhere else. It's talent recognition. They needed a Jimmy Johnson to come here and a guy who's going to recognize talent. It's going to help development, get the right coaches around them and build it up. Mario's Mario's one of the few guys who even wanted this freaking job. I don't care what they say about, uh, you know, Oh, all these coaches would want to No, none of them wanted to come here before Miami. Mario didn't even want to come here before they were spending. Now they're spending. So he's the first one in line to come and try this with a budget, with everything yep. else that comes with it. So um, I, I guess my overall sentiment to answering this question, because this, the question is, is it talent? Is the locker room? Yeah, the locker room is divided. There's a lot of infighting. I get messages from parents, from, from, from uncles, people that are that have kids that are on the team, walk-ons, scholarship people all the time. Oh, you should hear the bullshit that's going on. These, I was, somebody told me yesterday that some of the players on the team don't even want to win the last game because they don't want to go to the bowl game. Is that true? I don't know. I'm just telling you that's what I was told. Yeah. Okay? So imagine having to manage all of that, right? With 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 kids who and parents who were taking to social media and complaining about playing time and this and that, right? I mean, he's got to weed through all the bullshit. So you're Asher's 100 right. Uh, at some point, Mario will have his guys here, and right. if he can't win, then then you know what? He sucks. He, he doesn't shouldn't be here. But I don't exactly. think that's going to happen. I don't think right. that's going to happen. I think he's yeah, going to find success here eventually. Yeah, it's uh, absolutely, and I think it's it's tough to do like you said when you're navigating all these different things and I'm navigating all these personalities and it always becomes worse when you're losing uh those warts tend to pop out more when you're losing than uh when you're winning because it's easier to get guys into the fold when you're when you're winning than it is when you're losing but it's better for that to pop up now and not have those cancers show up later on down the road when there's a, a game on the line and I think if you look at the talent disparity right we we understand that these guys are overrated and we've, we've gone through the mental exercise. We've gone through the numbers, but if you really looked at the, that game on Saturday and you saw the two teams lined up across from each other, you can tell that Clemson was physically different than Miami. You could see it with your eyeballs. You could see what the way those guys were flying to the football for God's sakes. Do we have anyone on the roster? It looks like Jeremiah Trotter jr. Look at the size of that dude, a linebacker and how freaking athletic he is, dude. That's right. insane. And Clemson's backup running back is bigger than our linebackers. Seriously? Let's not even talk about trying to tackle the quarterback. Like it's it's they look like grown ass men. Like they were playing in the NFL where they were playing a high school team. The size difference. The only guys that matched up were the defensive line. But other than that, even they were like, damn, these guys are pretty big. So if if you haven't gotten the message throughout the season, if you looked at that game on Saturday, you saw what was going on, you saw those teams lined up against each other, you got the message now. Yeah, and, and I think Mario, without question. Uh, there is, as I was told by somebody, if he's going to take somebody undersized, it's because they're unbelievably special. I think he is certainly recruiting with a size chart next to him. You know, I asked him, I, and he won't answer all the questions, honestly, when we talk and, I, and at the press conference, but I asked him earlier this year about Ines Cooper. Is that the typical guy you want? And, you know, he won't come out and put say it 100%, but yes, that is the kind of guy he wants. He wants monster-sized individuals because in the end the teams that are standing that are still standing have those guys up front they have size they have physical presence about them this is a man sport this is a physical sport your body has to last and what does it say about Miami's physicality when half the roster is injured yeah and I can you know what Alex Mirabal could teach you how to pass set how to pass block how to pull or to place your hands on the blocking scheme, he can't teach you to be six foot six. He can't teach you to be 360 pounds. They could try and build you there muscular wise, but if you're not born with it and if you're not athletic in that 360, then it doesn't make a difference. He can't teach those things. Those are the things you got to go out and get. Zion Nelson weighed 240 pounds when he came in the door. Why is he having knee injuries? I don't know, because he's 320 now and his body's learning how to carry 80 more pounds than it was a couple years ago. 
I think I've said that on this podcast before. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. I've said it to a lot of people. So, yeah. Uh, Carlos, happy Thanksgiving to you and your family. Uh, Same to you, my man. Enjoy it. What are we eating this year? What did uh, I'm? I'm driving up to St. Augustine to be with my parents who are up there. My brother, uh, a few family members that are coming. What are What are you doing? Well, uh, I've got the family bringing different things to the house. I've already got the uh, tent set up in the backyard with a table ready to go. So my sister's doing the turkey. Uh, wife is doing the stuffing. Mom is bringing rice, beans, yuca, flan. Um, all she's making the the lechon. So we, we got all kinds of stuff. We got the pumpkin pie, uh, pumpkin cheesecake. We got all kinds of crazy stuff coming. Up. Jesus, you're killing me here, man. I'm getting hungry now. Well, we're we're, we're doing carne puerco as well. Uh, no no turkey in these Cuban households, right? I mean that's not. Oh, what we do we both. Do. We double fisted, bro. You double I got turkey and lechon coming. No, no, no turkey in my uh, in my casa. That's for sure, brother. Anyway, enjoy your turkey day. All of you listening, Wide Right Podcast uh, subscribers, those of uh, joining you here on YouTube, thank you for tuning in to this week's episode. We will be back. Whether or not Miami wins on Saturday, there will be more Wide Right Podcast after this one. Because let's uh, be honest, we're the real show, not the Hurricanes. <laughs> uh, we maybe we- talk about, we, we might end up talking about all kinds of crazy stuff after <laughs> the season, but you're still going to tune in because we're the fun. That's right. That's right. All right, brother. Thank you. Peace. It's all about the you.